Blog Talk Radio. everybody and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host Ted Odorico. Got a great show for you tonight this Thursday, April 27th of 2017 here on Golf Talk Live. We're going to start out of course as always on Thursday nights with a great round of Coach's Corner and I've got uh, a fantastic group of professionals tonight. Clint Wright, Tim Kramer and John Decker joining us for the first time uh, on the Coach's Corner panel this this week. Uh, Looking forward to having him on on, uh, this panel as well. Um, I'll introduce each of them here just a moment but let me remind everybody of course we are live every thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m central uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network uh, sim- best way to find us go to blogtalkradio.com and up in the search key type in golf talk live and that will take you to the main page and that will be front and center right there uh, during the live broadcast but for some reason if you're not able to join us for the entire broadcast not to worry all of the shows of course are auto recorded so you can just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just type golf talk live in the link and um, you can scroll down to the on demand section and listen to all of the previously aired broadcasts in their entirety uh, in the on demand section. So make sure you do that. If you want to call in during the live broadcast, we would love to hear from you. Uh, if you want to talk to the panel or maybe have some questions in general, uh, always welcome to do so. I know some of you are a little shy out there, but uh, here's the number, area code 646 716 4667. And uh, for those of you that uh, want to maybe email me a question instead, or maybe have some comments or uh, questions about the show, you can email me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. If you're somebody in the golf profession, uh, maybe you're a teacher or coach, uh, or maybe you've got a great product or a book that you've written that's uh, golf related, uh, you're welcome to uh, email me as well. Um, and I'll see about getting you uh, on the show as a, as a special guest. Uh, again, that's uh, ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And, of course, I update every week on social media, as most of you know by now that have been following the show for, for some length of time. Uh, if you go to Facebook.com and type in Golf Talk Live blog, make sure you have blog on there. Or you can type in my name, uh, Ted Odorico, and it's O-D-O-R-I-C-O. Uh, you can uh, hit up my homepage uh, for the golf uh, show, or you can get my personal page. That has the reminders on there as well. And also on Twitter and LinkedIn. My Twitter handle is Ted and Buck. CEO, that's CEO in capital letters, and of course LinkedIn, again, just type in my name and uh, you'll see it there. In the, if you're on LinkedIn, you'll see it there on LinkedIn as well for the show. Um, but in the meantime, uh, we're going to be starting here in just a moment with uh, Coach's Corner, and then later in the broadcast, I'm going to be joined by my very special guest this week, uh, Dave Bisbee. He's actually been on the show before a couple of months ago uh, with a few other guests. Uh, Jamie uh, Leno-Zimron was on with him, and the other co-founder of IMAP Golf was on with him. He's one of the co-founders, and he's the program director at Seven Canyons Golf Club in Sedona, Arizona, and he's going to be joining us uh, here in about an hour's time. But in the meantime, 
let me introduce you to the panel, and then I'll bring these guys who've been very patiently waiting in the wings, and we'll get started with the uh, Coach's Corner uh, panel discussion tonight. Uh, Clint Wright, uh, been on here so many times, I, I feel like I don't need to say anything about him, but I'm going to anyways just because I respect him that much. Uh, he's a 30-year member of the PGA, a partner at TGM Golf, and a big proponent of the R3 approach, who he's talked about many times before, and one of the best in my business, uh, my opinion rather, uh, covering the short game today. And he's been, as I've said so many, many times, one of my favorite guests and panelists here on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, also, another uh, favorite guest is Tim Kramer. Uh, he's a visionary peak performance coach and consultant based in, out of Stewart, Florida. And he's also the president and founder of Spirit Golf LLC, a program utilizing innovative and pioneering mind-body coaching techniques that help participants, both athletes and non-athletes, uh, access peak mind states for greater success and joy in both golf and life. And new to the panel tonight, but not new to the show, he was a guest here a little while ago, uh, is John Decker, uh, author of the book, uh, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game. And he's also a motivational speaker for Celebrate Sports Tour Foundation. And formerly, he was the director of instruction for New Albany, uh, New Albany uh, Country Club up in New Albany, Ohio. And also, he was the head instructor for the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando, Florida. So, well-rounded panel tonight. We've got some great uh, discussion going to happen. But first, let me bring the guys out here. Guys, welcome to uh, Golf Talk Live's Coach's Corner. You're welcome. Thanks, Ted. Thank you, Ted. <laughs> You're welcome. I was, it, boy, I'll tell you, it's a mouthful every week getting all that stuff yeah. out, but... It's it's well worth it. I, I have to try to edit it down a little bit each time because it gets a little bit uh, too much. You guys just have too many great accolades uh, in there. But, you know, I like to do it. I think it's, uh, as I said, off air. You guys are very giving of your time, so I, it's the least I can do to, to uh, brag about you a little bit. But, um, guys, one of the things I want to talk about, you know, we're still fairly early for some in the season. Of course, uh, Clint, you and I, and, and uh, John, I know we're – kind of down here in the southeastern part of the United States and, and Tim as well, uh, based out of Florida. Uh, so we get the, the privilege of playing golf for you around, but some of those uh, up north, even though we didn't have really a hard, hard winter this year, are still thawing out and haven't really gotten to their game yet. I think one of the things, uh, or a couple of things that a lot of golfers, and Clint, I'm going to start with you, of course. I'm going to throw you under the bus first. Um, that a lot, of, uh, a lot of golfers sort of get out of sync. Their tempo and their timing sort of get out. Um, how does a golfer find their tempo uh, and is everybody's generally the same? Well, no, I don't think anybody's generally the same. I mean, we all have a, a body rhythm to us. You know, you, you can see that with, with obviously through the years with the great players on tour. You've got a, you've got a Lanny Watkins and then, you, then you, you know, you've got guys that, that – um, you know the swing really slow and long, so it's it's it varies from person to person, and and I think what you the the easiest thing I've always talked to people about is don't try to develop a rhythm that doesn't suit you. You you know there's you have to find the the one that that suits your body rhythm. I mean I I have a fairly slow slow swing, but if I tried to speed it up, it's not going to work for me. I, I have to right. kind of be who I am. And a lot of times I think, particularly I spent a number of years in Wisconsin and people coming out of that wintertime, they, they try to, they, they, you know, obviously the people that study the game, they may be through the winter or reading or, or whatever trying to figure out how to improve, but they, they go out to try to create something versus try to find their rhythm. And mm -hmm. what I've always suggested people to do is start at the, 
Start at the putting green. Start at the, close to the hole. Find a little rhythm there. Work your way back. Don't just step out on the on the on the the uh, practice range and try to pound drivers right out of the box. Uh, you have to work yourself back into finding that rhythm that that suits you, and that's really not easy to do. But I, I think that the, you have to find it versus create it. Right. Well said. Um, Tim, sort of taking on that as well, um, you obviously work and, and coach with a lot of different players um, from a, a lot of different angles. And obviously, I'm sure that you come across players that have um, – you can definitely tell that their tempo and their timing are off. Is there anything specific that you like to do with, with some of the students that you're working with to help them sort of find their, their, their timing and, and find their tempo or rhythm as, as Clint pointed out? Is there anything specific yeah, that you try to do with I, your students? Yeah, I loved what he had to say. And, and my big thing, um, Ted is, is I work a lot with the emotions. And what I find is that the emotional state of mind, I believe is what really creates good rhythm and tempo. And it's when, um, it's when we start pushing things that we're not in a good frame of mind or, or when we are, um, we're uptight or we're feeling a little volatile or a little angry, whatever, that it's really hard to sustain good rhythm and tempo. Um, I, I liked what Clint had to say from, from, and, and maybe just, uh, you know, my version of that might be that each of us really does have almost an inner cadence that we need to pay a lot of attention to and trying to, trying to just emulate someone else's, um, generally isn't going to work for us very well. So, so there is kind of a, um, there's a, a sensation that we can get. Uh, on the putting green, I think that's a great place to start. I think the short game is another place. So that almost like we feel like nothing is rushed and, and nothing is slowed down too much. So that there's just a there's a cadence to it and a tempo to it. That, but that really has to happen when we're in a good, uh, a very good state of mind. Yeah, well said. Uh, and, and John, you know, obviously uh, both the guys have, have kind of covered a lot of things. But I, I want to again, do a little bit different twist with you if I can. I know that you've got a lot of uh, teaching experience as well um, and working with different students. In, in a case, let's give you a scenario here. You've got a student on the range. You're, you're getting ready to, to work with them, and you notice um, that typically they're a much more relaxed. They're kind of like an Ernie Els or, or Freddie Couples, uh, you know, a much slower, more methodical swing. But for some reason, as Clinton was pointing out, you know, they're, they're reading – uh, you know, the latest golf digest and they're, they're under this notion that they've got to speed up or they've got to, you know, swing for the, for the hills in order to get that extra distance. So it's thrown their tempo and timing out a little bit. Um, is there any drills that, that you've used in the past that sort of help, uh, as Tim pointed out, find that cadence, if you will, the inner cadence that, that we all have? Yes, Ted. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. It's an honor to be on the show. Yes, I, 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 my teaching background started at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf, and we did research there uh, through Dr. Ralph Mann, uh, Fred Griffin, and Phil Rogers, and they filmed the top touring play, players swing the club. And they found that if you averaged them out, they all take about one second to go back into the ball. It doesn't matter whether they're hitting a three-foot putt or a 300-yard drive. The time that it takes the club to go back into the ball is one second. So when I work with students, I use a metronome, and I put it okay. on a second. And then that's what I do, and I count, because I can take a group of 15 beginners, 
and I can, uh, or I can take 15 really established players, they're not going to swing back into the ball at the same time. So what I try to do is I say, you know, I can't maybe get you to swing like a tour player, but I can get you to take the club back into the ball. A lot of people surprisingly take less than a, than a, a second to go back into the ball and they produce no power. So um, it's very important when I look at, at students, that's one of the first things that I address early on with students, even if they're beginners. I mean, I get them, you know, the grip and the ball position and setup. But once I get them that, I, want, I don't want them thinking about four or five different things in their swing. And so I do a simple count, and I'll just go ready, one, two, swing, swing. And I tell them to go back into the ball, and I get that in their head. Uh, I worked with Bob mm-hmm. Sowers on the PGA Tour. He would say Kentucky Blue. He would just put a name to the count. I don't care what you think about it, as long as it takes, you know, one second. So the great players inherently have that. Uh, some people can naturally sing. Some people can naturally dance. And some people naturally have timing. Some people don't. If they don't, they have to be taught that. So that's a tangible way to teach someone timing. Well said, uh all three of you. Boy, this is a good panel tonight. I'm liking this. Uh, great answers all the way around. Thank you, guys. Um, all right, I want to I move on to uh, the next question, and, and that is it sort of falls into preparation. Um, you know, obviously the better players play for position. They, they know where they want their tee shots to be. They, they know how they want to approach the green and so forth. How do we know as, a, as an amateur player that's out there, and, and uh, John, I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm coming back to you first, and we're going to go okay. the opposite way here. Um, sure. How do you know where you want your, as a player, how do you know where you want your tee shots to land? What, what's the deciding factor that goes through your head as, a, as you've worked with some top players, uh, as you just mentioned? Uh, when they're coming up to the tee, doesn't matter which one, whether it's the first or the last tee, what goes through their mind as they decide and make that decision okay, I want the ball out here in this place here in order to prepare. What goes through their mind? Well, great players look at the hole or look at the hole from the actual flag stick back to the tee box. And when you do that, you have a great perspective of the hole. Um, you're much less likely to see all the bunkers because they're pointing the opposite way. Uh, and you can right. see the widest part. The architect will always give you, I shouldn't say always, but m- mainly will give you a wide area to land the ball. The problem is, is people don't want to put the ball in that area. They want to try to bite off more than they can chew. And uh, if, if I have a player that's a really, like Bob was, uh, he, he likes to work the ball from left to right. If that favored, if the right side of the fairway favored that, then I was all for him hitting a driver. But I told him if the ball's, if the hole's going right to left, you've got to hit your three wood. He does not like to try to draw a driver. So I think that, you know, Jack Nicholas played his entire career hitting cuts with his driver. And then if he had to turn the ball the other way, he would, you know, go to his longer irons or go to his fairway woods because it's a lot easier to do. So I think those are simple things for the better player. Um, and then I think for the average golfer is learning what tee box to play from. If you're not playing from the right tee box, then the landing area is really uh, not going to be of any significance. You've got to be playing from the right tee box. I think that the, P- the PGA of America is, in, you know, really pushing that, and I try to push that. And um, I hope that golf courses don't get longer. I hope they get shorter. To be honest with you, uh, I think that would be the best thing for all of us. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting that you say that because I was watching a little bit of the um, the Zurich um, tournament this uh, that started um, here today. 
um, down in uh, New Orleans, and they're, of course they're playing at uh, TPC. And it was kind of interesting because um, I don't think there's any uh, par fours over 400 yards. They're all under 400 yeah. yards. So you know that's kind of un- that's kind of unheard of. Now obviously it's an older TPC, so I'm sure they haven't um, for whatever reason haven't lengthened it. But a lot of the the you know traditional courses have have you know lengthened it so much that you know many of the par fours. Um, almost play like a par five now. They're so long. And, you know, the average player, I think, just has difficult time really formulating a strategy. Um, Tim, again, I want to ask the same question, but obviously, um, you know, again, you coach and, and work with a lot of different players, um, and, and you want to prepare them mentally in order to tackle some of the things that, that John just pointed out. Uh, is there anything special um, that you kind of like to, to do with your students to get them prepared to, to sort of strategize as they're going around positioning their tee shots, that sort of thing? What's, some, what's sort of the formula that you work with uh, with some of your students? Yeah, it's, it's a great question because obviously their eye sets up different for, for different types of shots and different types of holes. And one thing we work on very much so is that they get into the space in the pre-shot routine where, where what they're about to do seems very uh, achievable, very believable. And, and the way that we do that is really by, in some ways, changing the goal um, based upon how they feel again. But at times, it'll be very specific. Uh, and at other times, it'll be more general. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, that, that at times they'll really see a spot and they just feel good about being able to hit it to that spot. At other times, the hole might look a little goofy to them or, or they're just not feeling it right then. So we get a little more general with the goal mm-hmm. and, and then it's just, it's more, okay, let's just, you know, um, let's just knock it up the right side of the fairway or let's just knock it, you know, on the left side of the fairway. It might even be as general as let's just get this in the fairway. Um, because if they're really feeling uptight, we just, we're trying to get tension out of the body uh, so that they can swing for it fairly freely. So it's really, uh, it's a shot by shot kind of determination as to, um, as John was saying, how much, you know, how much they want to chew. And there's going to be times where it's going to be more specific. They're feeling, they're feeling it. And that's when we want to go for it. And then there's times they have to be wise enough to back off, which is why even again, the middle of the green at times is just an awesome place to go. Um, and just based more shot by shot, as opposed to even strategy for the day. I think it's really more just uh, you know, how they're feeling. Go ahead, please. No, no, I, you you cut out a little bit, so I, I wasn't sure if maybe I lost you. But no, go ahead, finish your thought. Oh no, no, just that, just that each shot really has that goal to it. Uh, but the goal's got to feel good, and and so it's almost like they're playing more from what they believe that they can really accomplish rather than maybe what they read they need to do or what they did yesterday. Even it might not work today again. So they really have to just get almost more about being in the flow of what they're they feel that they can do right now, and that's when they achieve their their greatest uh, success. Great answer as well. Thank you, uh, Tim, for that. Clint, this should be right up your wheelhouse. And John uh, very graciously uh, gave you a good lead-in because uh, it's true. The pros look for, look at uh, any course from the whole back. And right. I know you're a big, big, big proponent of the third shot. So 
let's I, talk about it, uh, what I what I asked from that perspective. And, absolutely, and this is this is a wheelhouse question here. It um, <laughs> just just for your point of view, though, I just try to get my ball to land in the fairway. That's good enough. <laughs> you know what they both said about the uh, above average to tour level or great amateur player is absolutely correct. But the people I see every day that play this game that we rely on. I try to get them to begin, as you said, to start thinking, where do you want to play your third shot from? You know, I deal with a lot of people that may not be able to get to the ball to a par four and two. Mm -hmm. So do you bang a driver and hope to keep it in the fairway, or do you play your three wood and it's going to be in the fairway, lay your second shot up into where your third shot's the easiest? And Mm -hmm. par five's the same way. I see people every day I play with, that there's no chance that they're going to get the ball on the green in two. They really need to try to get it within maybe 100 yards of the hole, and they bang a driver off the tee box and hit it in the woods. If they just take a three-wood, three-wood, they're in 100 yards, and they're, they're in great shape. So I try to get people to use a, become players versus hitters. And I think if you begin to focus, and the tour players think about this, all they're trying to do is make their third shot easy too. You know, it's the same aspect, but their 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 scores a lot less because they're taking fewer to get there possibly. But if you begin to get the player not to think from the hole back, but where that third shot's going to come from, then they can start developing their advancement game to get it into that scoring zone or third shot zone, whatever you want to call it. And and they'll they then begin to hit the clubs that they hit the best. Not what, just like Tim said, not what they think they should be hitting. Right. And if we can get people to begin it, and I agree with John too, Most, a lot of people you see playing from tee boxes are way too far back for them. You know, I wish, and there's a little bit of uh, preaching here, but I, I wish we would change, and some courses have changed the colors from red, white, and blue. You know, right. I, to, <laughs> to get some of our senior guys to play from forward. You know, there's some stigma there, I guess. You know, get up there where you can have fun, where you can get the ball in there where you need to instead of struggling with it. But but from my perspective and the players I work with, I, I try to get them to begin to think about that shot into the green, which is generally their third shot, to how they would play to get there in as comfortable and as appropriate fashion as they can. Yeah, and and you're exactly right, um, you know, Clint, and, and again, all of look at, um, there's a lot of factors. You know, sometimes, uh, John, as you pointed out, you know, Jack Nicklaus uh, worked that fade very famously, and when he was on a hole that didn't fit his eye, of course, he drew back to, uh, you know, more often than not, his long, uh, long irons at that time. Now, most people are, of course, using... Uh, hybrid clubs and and um, and that sort of thing instead, but I think a lot of golfers out there, you know, don't think about where the pin is positioned and, and what's going to be the best side of the fairway uh, to approach, as you put out, Clint, uh, with the third shot. If you hit the ball and it might be in a good position in the fairway, but it's not going to approach the green uh, from an ideal position, then it's really not going to benefit you. So sometimes you have to, uh, you know, a little strategy comes in, which brings me to the next question uh, for you guys. And, and obviously, again, we don't have the benefit of, of the physical um, viewing on this program, so you have to kind of use a little bit of imagination. But I want to talk a little bit about setting up 
and executing uh, sort of various shots, um, whether it be pitch uh, and, you know, even a bump and run. But I want to throw in there some different con- conditions because they're not, you know, not all, uh, all parts are equal. So as an example, um, Clint, again, take a deep breath. I'm going to start back with you. We're going to go back down the other uh, line. Um, you know, in, in ideal con- conditions, obviously, uh, we're going to set the uh, ball up. And, and again, I know there's going to be some variation depending on the players. But generally, rule of thumb, especially with your shorter clubs, uh, let's say take from seven iron down, um, ideally, where should uh, the average golfer be positioning the ball in relationship to their body? Is there, is there one set rule or is there room for flexibility? As far as like in a, in a full swing? Um, yeah, in a full swing, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of the shorter swings. Okay. Well, I've always encouraged people to set the ball up slightly in front of the center with the, the mid to short irons because you're, you're wanting to really try to set up a downward impact on the ball. So right. if the ball's forward of center, the club tends to be more on the upswing there. If we got it center to, to slightly in front of center, I think we get more of a descending blow on the ball on a general uh, thing. Balance. I like to see a person just get comfortably balanced and in control of their body motion. You know, I'm not a big proponent of a little more on the left or a little more on the right. I think, you know, you can tweak that individually. But I I think the person should be able to position themselves where they can make an athletic move and control their balance. We all know that if you lose your balance, it won't matter what your swing theory is. You have to stay in control of the center somewhat. As far as short pitch shots and stuff are concerned, I still like the little descending blow, depending on the trajectory you're looking for. Uh, I like to see most of my players that I work with that get a little bit open to the target line. makes it a little easier for them to get, the flo- get their hips to turn towards the, towards the, uh, the, the uh, target as the club comes through on the shorter, maybe not quite as high-velocity uh, shots. Yeah, and, and Tim... I want to, again, we'll take this from a little bit different vantage point um, and not necessarily get specific in in setup in that. But again, it comes down to a confidence level as well. I think that players, you know, obviously want to be confident with their shots, making sure they're making good contact. And I think if there's a lot of variance in ball positions, um, that's going to hinder a player's ability to be consistent, which again is going to affect their um, mental state and their emotional state as well. Um, again, I know you work with um, a lot of uh, higher caliber players more often than not, so it's a little bit uh, different. But when you're working with, say, players that don't have um, as high of a caliber in their game, is there anything specific that you do to try and uh, encourage them to build consistency? Well, <laughs> you bring up a great question, and I'm going to defer a lot of this stuff to the other guys. I think what they're talking about is masterful, and 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 I do work with you know I work with and the bulk of my private coaching is with many tour players and above. The one thing I'm going to throw in here though is that is that we've come across some research that was done out of Stanford University, and what it says is that the human brain is not wired for consistency. So I got to throw that little bugaboo in uh, from the standpoint mm-hmm. of um, really that, that the, the brain is looking for creative ways of doing things. It's not looking to repeat the same thing every time. And what we're finding is that the brain isn't like a computer 
where it can do or even wants to do things the same the same way time and again. Now, within that, I got to say, there's obviously parameters. I'm not trying to suggest that there are not, but the whole idea. Right. I guess I'm just trying to debunk this little theory that we can consistently do the same motion and same movement time and again and forevermore be happy with our golf games because that just doesn't work. And so again, in terms of the mechanics themselves, I am going to defer to these guys because I would really be talking. Um, I would not know. Well, that's not true, but, but I don't teach the swing do teach the mind game. But, but one of the things that I do right. is that is that really getting them into the right space in the shot. And I think the worst thing they can do uh, is, is if they're trying to hit a certain type of shot though, is the confusion. So that's why I just think the lessons and what these guys are talking about is so masterful and so good that at least you want to know, you know, as, as Clint was saying, well, you know, if we're going to hit a little pitch shot or whatever, yeah, let's set up a little open to it. And we got the hips open a little bit more and whatever, easier to turn around. Uh, I, I love that kind of stuff. It's just not something that I teach. Right. Um, and, and I knew that. I, I knew that you would have a, a, a masterful answer for me, anyways. But um, um, <laughs> well, I don't know about that. But 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 any but no, always, I think it's al- important because. <laughs> but I think this whole consistency issue is very important because you know we've got some brain research now that just says the brain is not wired for consistency, and and so to think that we can do it the same way time and again, and then we're always frustrated when we're not doing it the same way. It's like, well, we're kind of asking for an impossibility. And and I just think yeah. that's important uh, to get that information out there because we're not wired to do it the same way. Now, again, there's parameters, and, and of course, but, but to think that, you know, uh, and, and we even know from Iron Byron, uh, Iron Byron in a controlled environment does not hit every ball and in theory should hit every ball in the same spot when there's no wind and doesn't even come close to doing that. So it's got to tell us a little bit about this whole thing of, boy, if I just did it the same way every time, the results I would see would just be phenomenal. And it just, it doesn't work that way. No. And you're exactly right. Well said. Um, You know, John, I think uh, just sort of, again, playing off of what Tim just talked about, I think Mm -hmm. there, there's certainly, uh, and obviously the science backs it up. Uh, there is a lot of truth that I think there, again, are, as he pointed out, there are parameters. Um, but I think also to, you know, conditions um, play a big factor as well. Obviously, you know, ball position is going to get moved and, and so forth, depending on the conditions. Um, you know, if you've got a, a good headwind, you might want to, um, you know, play the ball back a little further to keep it down and you might want to take a shorter swing. So there's a lot of variables in that. Um, but what do you recommend um, to get as close as possible, let's, let's phrase it that way, uh, to consistency with um, how you get your, your students to set up and, and things like that. Um, we can sort of break through that, that analogy that, no, we may not be able to be consistent uh, every single time, but we can make certain things repeatable uh, and, and increase the likelihood of success. Um, I know there's some things out there that you've done before, uh, Give us, a, give us an idea of some things that you've done to help uh, with setup in that. Well, this is a great question because the first thing that I tell every student is, is the most, uh, I, I want you to have a perfect setup. I'm not going to build a perfect swing, but I want your setup to be perfect. So I want you to learn how to set up to the ball perfectly every single time. And obviously when you get uneven lies, things like that, it changes. 
Um, the research, again, looking at where my background at Grand Cypress, the, the, we found that the tour players now are playing the ball right inside the left heel. Um, they pretty much are not changing the ball around like they did 30, 40 years ago. They're not playing with a lot of balls anymore. They don't need to work it. They're playing with balls that spin less. They're, they're pretty much putting the ball forward in their stance, and they're rotating through. So they've got the ball pretty much in the same spot. If you look at the difference between their driver and their pitching wedge, it changes very, very minor. Now what does change is their distance from the ball and the width of their stance. So obviously if I go to a wider stance, that's going to move my center of gravity more behind the ball. I'm going to catch it more on the upswing. If I'm hitting a chip shot, I'm going to put my feet closer together, lean my weight forward. Still going to play the ball in the same spot. I'm going to get my weight more in front of the ball. Now I'm going to hit it more on the downswing. So I don't change the ball position unless they're in a fairway bunker or they have an extremely uneven lie. Now, when I, I heard Tiger Woods uh, up at the memorial doing the clinic, and he said, when I move the ball back in my stance, I move it one ball. And that's what I teach. I move the ball back one stance. So you're in a fairway bunker, you move it back one ball, and then you open up your stance to allow for that. But you don't change your swing. You, you know, you have to get your – you might change, you know, your club sure. selection and all that, but your swing is going to be the same. So if I get on an extreme uphill, downhill lie, yes, then the ball position will change because you have to factor in – all that. And I think in a, in this, there's so many different possibilities. I couldn't possibly talk about each one of those, but um, right. I, I love the fact what, you know, what Clint says exactly right in the short game, I would open someone up more. Uh, and what Tim said is um, correct about the consistency. I just look at it. Hey, you may not swing, you know, you're not, you're not going to have a consistent swing, but let's make your setup perfect. So let's make that consistent. Yeah. And, and, and it's exactly right. I think the the more, um, and, and maybe consistency isn't the word, but the more repeatable um, you can make um, your setup that it's the same every time or as close to the same. You know, it's amazing, uh, and John, you kind of alluded a little bit to this. It's amazing when you watch somebody on the range, and it doesn't matter what club they're using. We'll just say for argument's sake, a seven iron, and they'll hit a, a great shot. And the next one, they think they've set up the same way but their feet may be a little bit wider apart or maybe a little narrower than the, the last shot and it's very inconsistent and the ball might have moved just a you know just a smidgen either way and all things are not equal so you know I, I think that you know Nicholas talked about in, in his video uh, golf my way you know he showed actually an example in the video where he swung a variety of different clubs um, using the same tempo and the same timing uh, and the same swing, he, nothing changed except for, exactly. like you pointed out, John, the distance that he stood from the ball, and obviously um, the length of the swing got a little bit longer as he got into, you know, uh, the driver and so forth. But essentially, the, the tempo and timing and everything was the same. And I think the other thing that he pointed out as well, which was was key, um, was that beginning of every season without fail because um, he was not a big range guy. He didn't get out there and beat balls like many of the others did in his generation or, and even some of the tour players today. Um, but he worked on his fundamentals at the beginning of the season. Every year, um, he just worked them to death until he had that consistency in his setup and ball position, alignment, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And that's what he worked on. You know, he didn't, you know, you didn't see Nicholas change his swing five different times throughout his career. It was the same no. swing from the beginning of his, his career to where he is now. Um, obviously, age has, has made some changes, uh, unfortunate. So, uh, you know, it, it just goes to what Tim pointed out and, and uh, 
both of you pointed out as well is, you know, you can be consistent to a point. Uh, there are some sort of true and tried measures, if you will, of how to set up uh, that's going to give you the, the optimal um, opportunities, I guess is the best way to put it. Tim, I want to, I want to, uh, I'm going to give you this sort of question because I think um, this is going to be a little bit more uh, appropriate for you, but, um, and then the other guys, you know, you're welcome to, after he's finished, to, to join in. Um, what are some of the key things, Tim, that you do with your students that would help and benefit the average golfer out there? What are some key things that you work with yeah. some of your higher caliber? So yeah. I'm going to open up the floor to you. Um, tell us what you do. Yeah, there's there's really two things as a coach that I, I have found to be very helpful with players at all levels. I, and and it's within it's within the guideline that that all tension in the body comes, of course, from from self-talk and all the self-talk, which doesn't do us any good at all always comes from stories about the past or the future. We, we get, we, you know, we're dragging up old shots. We're upset or we're worried about what might happen in the future. So that really with, with all the good players who I know they have in every sport have the uncanny ability of bringing back their focus and their awareness and their attention to the present moment, to the now. So, so that's really huge. And just even understand that if your mind's off in past or future, you're, you're just, you're not going to be optimizing performance within that though. I think there's two things that I find that really help us to stay what I call in the now. And, and one is the breath that, that it's really difficult to be focusing on our breathing as a calming or a focusing tool and not to um, uh, be able to really tap into a high energy state, a good energy state that's very free of problems and a mind that stays more focused. The second is the eyes. And, and a lot of uh, great research was done by Joan Vickers in, in uh, Calgary and it's called the quiet, it's called quiet eye. And if, if we're really paying attention to players when they're nervous or they're angry or they're upset, uh, and you ask them, what are your eyes doing? And they will tell you, well, they're just, they're, they're just flitting all over the place. I mean, their eyes are just constantly just, you know, just all over the place. So, so those two things, if I could, if I could suggest anything to the average player, to the tour player, uh, but we see this with the tour players. If you look at their pre-shot routines, they're breathing and their eyes are very, very quiet. They, they're just, they're, they're focused on something. Uh, and, and I think those two things, and, and that's what I would suggest to any player, get the eyes under control, get them softer, uh, and use the breath and use the breath and the eyes in combination. And, and it really helps to, uh, uh, to quiet a lot of the mind chatter that does us no good. And then of course, what, what these guys so masterfully teach, it just gets a whole lot easier for them to do. Uh, well said. Um, Clint, I'm going to flip over to you here for a second. Um, you know, t- Tim raises uh, some some great points here. You know, a lot of players, we're all guilty of it. doesn't matter what level of, of play we're at from time to time. You know, we recall some bad shots. We bring them into our, our psyche, if you will. Uh, and, you know, even the, even the best of the best sometimes will do that. Obviously, they're better, as Tim pointed out, at filtering a lot of that out and focusing on uh, more important things. But, um, it, it's a it's a known fact that especially a lot of our higher handicap players um, they're still mulling over a shot that they made two weeks ago at their club championship, um, <laughs> especially when they come up to that that same. So, um, 
Clint, what, what do you do with, with some of your students to, to sort of break that habit? Um, you know, Tim's raised some great things from an internal standpoint, some self-talk, internal dialogue. Um, but is there something, too, that we can do out on the course to, to help to build that rebuild confidence in a shot that maybe that student has lost confidence in? Well, Tim, I mean, this is profound. I'm really – this is great to be on this panel because I'm, I'm learning as much as I'm, I'm putting out there, to be honest with you. But we always talk to the players about a couple of things. One, I probably have a little different definition of confidence than you guys do. And I, I want the player to be confident in the decisions they've made about the shot they're going to play. It, is it the right club to hit? Have I got the right distance? And making sure that they've made the right choice. That's confidence that, that they've done the right thing. We talk a lot about, at that point, you have to trust that you can do it right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm confident I've chosen the right club because I've seen it happen more times in the past. I know an 8-iron will go 150. I'm 150. The 8-iron is the best club. Now I've got to trust myself to do it right now. And, and we talk a lot about how a person gets into that trust, and I, and I think Tim's brought it. Just take a deep breath, calm down, and just do it. But we also talk about uh, with players, you, can't, you don't play this game in the past. Right. You play the game now and in the future. You, the shot you just hit doesn't have any effect on the shot you're going to hit, nor will it have any effect on where you play the next one from. So we talk about how how you change the pre, how you change the future into the into the past, and that's with one golf swing. Mm-hmm. Is that I want my players to make good decisions for right now, in order to be able to try to get the shot to go where they want to play their next one from. So we're always playing in, you know, we just talked about it earlier. The best players in the world play in the future. They play from the right. from the stick back. Where do they want to play that second shot from? That's why they play one side of the fairway or not. So we're playing in the future if we're playing at that level. So, again, coming back to the third shot again, that future shot's the one you're trying to get to, but we've got to play mm-hmm. it now. And uh, try to get them to understand that they want to make good choices, become players, not just hitters. So we want to use a little strategy. We want to make some decisions based on the circumstances of today and for this particular shot with the idea that we're trying to get to that future shot that we want to play because that's the easiest shot. We're all doing this. We all want our future shot to be easy. That's why hole-in-ones are so much fun. There is no future (laughs) shot. It's the easiest one out there. Okay? Right. We're always doing that. That's why I I differ a little bit that we've got to play in the now. Yes, we've got to hit the shot in the now, but we're actually playing in the future. We're playing that shot that we want to play next. Yeah. And so that's kind of the approach that we take to it. Yeah, well said. Uh, and uh, and Clint, you're you're at the front of the bus now. You're going to be co-piloting uh, piloting the bus very shortly. Um, okay. And I'll explain that. I'll explain that to the others another time. But uh, yeah, that's, an old, Joe, that's but, an old story. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, um, John, I want to just kind of change the the question just a little bit with you. Sure. Um, you know, we've seen many, many players. Sergio, obviously, uh, fantastic to see him win this Masters. 
Uh, but there's been many, many times in the past where we thought he was going to, you know, that first major was going to be in his clutches. And for some reason, that round got derailed. Um, obviously, it happens at the pros level. They may have had two or three holes um, that, that cost them. It may be even one shot that cost them a tournament. Um, a lot of our amateur players might start out their round, the first couple of holes, they're warming up. Um, you know, they may be parred uh, the first one, which is great. Um, you know, maybe birdie the next one, and they've got a good, a, a good float going. And then all of a sudden, the trains fall off the track. Um, how do they stop the bleeding, number one? What advice would you give them? And what about those players that don't get to a good start? Um, how do you get them to get back on the train tracks and, and not uh, let the round go, you know, slip through their fingers, so to speak? What, what some things that you would suggest to, to help them in that area? Well, what's interesting is, is, is if you play the game, you're going to have those two scenarios a lot of the time. <laughs> I think we all, uh, I mean, I know that I can relate to that question. Um, there's times sure. that I've bogeyed the first hole and I've shot in the 60s, and there's times I've birdied the first hole and shot in the 80s. So uh, you just never, you never know. Um, you know, you can't base it on, you know, the, the start or, um, you know, the, it's really the mindset of golf. The way I do it is, first of all, is, a, uh, is teaching a sound, fundamental pre-shot routine um, and, and learning how to uh, let go. And once you've hit a shot, it's over, um, and that's easy to say. I suggest I've always thought that it's much easier to play golf when you walk versus ride in a cart because when you walk, uh, you have time to walk it off. And uh, if you hit a great yeah. shot, you have time to, to walk off the adrenaline. If you hit a bad shot, you have time to walk off the anger. Uh, if as long as you're not holding up play, you know, if you're riding in a cart, maybe you tell your partner to drive, you just want to walk it off, especially if you get off to a bad start. Um, but when I get into the actual shot itself, I try to teach the players to count, and I try to d teach them to do the, the one-two swing-swing like I talked about, uh, the one second, because mm -hmm. it's proven that the human brain cannot think of two things at, one, at the same time. And if you're thinking of one thing, which is a fundamental thing that you've been working on every single day that you've practiced and every single day that you've hit balls and you have that same mindset on the golf course, you're going to, you're much better chance of having success. When you're on the range, you get into a rhythm and you get in, I mean, it's easy at times to hit balls on the range and then you get on the golf course and all of a sudden you start looking at all the bunkers and the trees and everything out there and you, your mind goes haywire it, that metronome is very much like watching uh, someone when they're playing an instrument, when they're tapping their their foot or they're put, you know, they're they're singing, they're 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 putting their they're tapping their hand on their thigh, their thigh to give themselves that that beat. Uh, it's a great way to teach people to stay in the now and to focus on the one shot at a time. Well said, thank you, um, Tim. That that sort of leads me into a question I have for you. Um, sort of the in-between shots, uh, and again, this can be applicable at any level, professional or otherwise, but um, I know as an example, um, you know, hearing a story some years ago when Annika Sorenstam was still playing uh, on the LPGA, um, where literally between shots, she would have to find ways of, of sort of turning her mind off um, because it's virtually impossible to have your mind on golf for four and a half hours straight and think of nothing else. Um, the, the pressure just would, would be too great. Um, are there techniques that, that you teach uh, or there 
methods, if you will, that you teach your players, you know, in between shots so that until they get to the next shot, they're not thinking about the last shot. They're not necessarily thinking until they get to a certain point along the fairway. And we'll use an example of of those that walk still uh, as opposed to the carts. Um, Is there something that you recommend your players um, do in, in between shots so that they're not just you know, 24-7 out in the golf course thinking about golf, that it gives them time to, as, as John pointed out, to sort of, you know, decompress from uh, adrenaline or sure. uh, maybe a negative uh, mindset. What, what do you do? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And, and I loved what John said, because, and it's so true that the, the way the brain is wired, we can only think about one thing at a time. And so bottom line is you have to have enough awareness out there of where you're at and it really helps to monitor it. Right now, am I thinking about something that is enjoyable and pleasurable to me? Uh, or am I thinking about something that's upsetting to me? And it could be anything. I mean, you know, it can be about golf. It can be not about golf. It can be whatever. And so, so I guess I go a little bit more into that in every moment, the body is either in a state of, of ease and flow, which is obviously optimal, for any athletic performance sure. or it's locked up in tension and, and resistance, which we try to avoid all tied into our self-talk and our stories. The body can't tense up on its own outside of the stories that we're, that we're telling ourselves. So um, I agree. If we were to try and focus on golf for four, four and a half hours, <laughs> you wonder why people are so exhausted. And, and it's because they, they think that they've just got to stay focused on the golf and focused on the golf. When, when I, I know that if you can find anything enjoyable to focus on, it could be the weather. It could be, you know, it could be, it could be your wife or your husband. If that is something that is pleasurable to you, it could be the grandkids. It could be the kids. It could be your puppy. It doesn't matter what the subject is. And the reason for that is very important is that even on a cellular level, the cells of the body don't care about content. They just want to feel good. So anything you're thinking about that feels pleasurable is going to put the body into that response. So, so I guess in answer to your question, I just want them finding something keeps them out of, uh, of the problem mode to keep the brain out of the problem mode because uh, it doesn't take long for the brain. And, and as, as we all know, as golfers, it's pretty easy once you're not playing well to just have it, you know, compound and compound and, and the stories get worse and the self-talk gets worse and we go more and more and more off in the weeds. And so, uh, again, anything that you can find to to focus on that feels good, and and I think the breath is the best best tool we've got going. It, 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 you can't be focused. John was saying, brain only can focus on one thing at a time. Can't be focused on your breathing and a problem in the same moment. So if you want to stay out of the problem mode, focus on the breath. Walk down the fairway. Right. Focus on the breath. Look at the grass. Look at the look at the sky. Look at the clouds. It sounds silly, but but that's what Annika was doing, and that's what a lot of the tour players are doing too. They're just staying, keeping the mind off of problems. Yeah, she actually um, and and Cindy uh, Miller, who, who co-hosts with me on the Women of Golf Show on Tuesday mornings, actually was the one that brought that uh, scenario up in, in a discussion that we had one time. And, you know, she talked about how Annika said in an interview after um, one of the tournaments that she actually had to start doing that because what she found was during her rounds is she was focusing so much on the tasks at hand that it actually 
it, it created a barrier and didn't allow her to, to rest. And, and so she actually consciously from that point on made a point of, you know, and this is just sort of a, a you know, um, uh, throwing something out there, but smelling the roses, if you will, in between each shot um, and thinking about something different. And then obviously there was a point in time where she had to re-engage as she got close to her next shot uh, or to the ball uh, and prepared for a next shot. Of course, she had to get back into the mode. Uh, but there was that, that period. And, and, I, and I wonder, Clint, and this is sort of going to be the last scenario uh, for you, it's just a, a, sort of an off-the-cuff question, but do you think in some ways, uh, and I understand why they, they did this, obviously for speed of play and that, but do you think that the golf cart in some ways has ruined a little bit uh, of the game by not allowing people to really, um, you know, everybody sort of rush to get around the golf course? Do you think that that's been a bit of a hindrance for, for the average players, not allowing them the time to really uh, just enjoy the rounds anymore? Well, well, certainly, and, and there, there's no question about that. And, and the other side of it is, is that it eliminated the caddy. Yeah. You know, that relationship that the tour players have with their caddies now is something that the average player has lost because of the cards. I know I got an opportunity to play at Sage Valley here near Aiken a couple of years ago, and it's a walk only. They have quite a few of the uh, Augusta caddies there that caddy all the time, and it was one of the most wonderful experiences that we've ever had lately playing golf because you develop that banner with your caddy and, and the other people are there. There's no question that what you, you've said is absolutely true. You know, so as I've gotten older, my just to throw this out, is, is that in between shots, I tend to try to stay loose. I try to stretch and focus my attention on keeping my back loose and <laughs> moving around a little bit because if you're riding that cart, particularly in the fall and the winter, you get stiff. You can never get loosened up. So that's what I do personally is just try to keep my back from tightening up and loose around. It gives you something to occupy your mind and time with, just like they both said. But without a doubt, the, the golf cart has been probably one of the best and worst things that has ever happened to our, to our game. Yeah, and, and, and this is not, uh, you know, obviously I'm not going to lie and say I haven't taken, taken a golf cart or two in, in my day, so I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm, I'm walking the fairways all the time. But um, it, I, I've noticed even when I play, you know, you're, you're rushing to the next shot because you're trying to keep the pace of play. And, and I understand why they're, why they're doing it and why they uh, have gone that route. They're able to get more golfers out in the course um, by that way. Dollar. But at the same time, yeah, sure. But, you know, I think it takes away a lot of the enjoyment. And I'm like you, Clint. You know, there are still some courses out there that you can, uh, you can walk. Uh, they don't push you into the cart. But, uh, and I certainly enjoy it. And if somebody wants to take a cart, then I just let them fly on past if they want to. Um, but I... I prefer to walk uh, whenever available because I just think it's, it's a much more enjoyable round and gives me a chance to, as I say, smell the flowers and, and uh, listen to the birds and whatnot uh, before I get into the woods and look for my golf ball. So, um, you know, <laughs> oh, only kidding. I haven't hit one in the woods for a little while, but, uh, but you know what I'm talking about. Well, guys, listen, uh, I'm going to give you each uh, just a, a quick moment or two, if you will, um, just to let the folks know they're listening to the show tonight, um, how they can reach out and, and maybe what's going on. Um, and, and John, since uh, you're new to the panel, I'm going to let you go first. So, John, uh, go ahead, and then Tim, and then Clint, I'll let you follow up. Well, thanks again, Ted, for having me on. Um, if you want to go on my website, it's uh, 
It's uh, com, And, I, again, I spell my name J-O-N, so it's johndeckergolf.com. Uh, my book, you can order the book on there. I've got golf videos. I've got my schedule for my book tour. I'm going to be uh, doing a uh, Barnes & Noble book signing in Asheville this weekend. I'm going to be in Charlotte next week, uh, May the 6th. And on May the 13th, I'm going to be in Greenville, South Carolina. And, again, the book is uh, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game. So thanks again. Yeah, and it's a great book. Yeah, it's a great book, and uh, and thank you uh, for coming on the panel tonight, John. I look forward to you having you back again. And uh, Tim, uh, the folks want to reach out to you. How can they go about doing that? Yeah, best way best way to reach uh, reach me is either uh, website two websites, myspiritofgolf.com, or we've actually uh, branched out into coaching athletes in a lot of other sports now. Uh, we've gone to peakperformancemindcoaching.com. And so um, either of those websites would do, give you all the information. There's books on there, some CDs and things like that. Some, uh, we use a lot of music technology and, and things like that. Um, people are, are welcome to write me at uh, Tim at uh, peakperformancemindcoaching.com. I'd love to hear from you. Perfect. Thank you, Tim, as always. Enjoy and a pleasure having you on the show. And last but certainly not least, uh, my good friend, Mr. Clint Wright. Um, how can the folks reach out to you? And have you got anything special cooking uh, besides on the barbecue? Yeah, just on the barbecue, Ted. But I do appreciate it. And, guys, I, this has been quite enjoyable. I'll be honest with you. I've, I've learned a lot from both of you all tonight, and, and I certainly appreciate it. But they can always get me at clintgoff001 at yahoo.com. I check it every day, and we'll correspond back to them. And, uh Ted, right now we're doing as, as many third-shot clinics as we can and we're having some great responses, trying to tweak a few things there, but going very well, and I would encourage people to, to start thinking about where they're going to play that third shot from. Thanks for having me. Well said. Well said. Um, guys, thank you very much for coming on. I enjoyed, uh, as always, I enjoy the panel discussions, but tonight was a little bit extra special. Uh, one, we had uh, a new uh, gentleman uh, join us, but uh, just some great uh, discussion and uh, John, Tim, and Clint, thank you as always for giving of your time uh, for my audience, and I look forward to each of you coming back again on uh, a future program. So uh, God bless everybody. Have a great uh, weekend, and I will see you guys uh, next time on the Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, guys. Thank you, yeah, Ted. Yep, enjoy thank it. You. Thanks, guys. All right. All right. All right, that was my very special uh, guys tonight, uh, Clint Wright, Tim Kramer, and John Decker on the uh, Coach's Corner panel. Always enjoy uh, doing the panel discussions, and, and if you tune in uh, for the first part of the show, you can uh, certainly see and understand why. Uh, great group of guys on the panel. Uh, always got some very interesting things to say. And another gentleman that's got some interesting th- things to say and has actually been on the show uh, during a, uh, an earlier broadcast uh, with some others, and, uh, but I wanted to have him back on. I just found him to be a very interesting uh, uh, gentleman and uh, great for the game, and I'm going to introduce him here in just a second. But I just want to remind everybody, of course, uh, we are live every Thursday nights from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on blogtalkradio.com network. Just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just type golf talk live up in the search key. And uh, when you get to that home page, uh, the show will be front and center. And you just click uh, on and, and uh, we're good to go. Um, but for some reason, if you can't join us during the live broadcast, not to worry. All of the shows, of course, are auto-recorded. And uh, you can just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and just scroll down to the on-demand section. And all of the previously aired shows will be there in their entirety 
uh, for the uh, with the re- recorded version, including tonight's broadcast, which will be again at the top of the on-demand section. So make sure you do that, and make sure that you follow uh, the show on Facebook and Twitter as well. Uh, go to facebook.com uh, forward slash Golf Talk Live blog with the blog on the end there. And if you haven't done so already, if you visited the page before and you haven't done so, and if you're on Facebook, make sure you like the page. I appreciate that as well. Uh, and also uh, on Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. And CEO, of course, is in caps. And thank you to all of the recent followers there on Twitter. Of course, I update the show there as well uh, each and every week. Uh, my good friend Dave Bisbee is, is on here. Uh, as I said, he was on the show before, and I wanted to have him uh, come back uh, for a little bit longer uh, than the last time and, and just himself. And he is, I'll tell you a little bit about him. He's the program director at Seven Canyons Golf Club in Sedona, Arizona. And just to tell you a little bit of what he does there, he leads their comprehensive game improvement center, uh, which combines golf instruction, custom club fitting, and uh, mental conditioning for uh, everybody from new to seasoned to executive golfers. Uh, and enjoys sharing really a lifetime of teaching and playing experience. Dave is renowned for his innovative methods and easygoing style helping literally thousands of golfers gain greater satisfaction through improvement performance. Uh, known by his peers as a teacher of teachers, uh, Dave's pioneering approach to golf integrates mind, body, and emotions uh, and connects the dots that help uh, lead uh, to achieving uh, one's goals. Uh, he is also, as I mentioned earlier, the co-founder of IMAP Golf, uh, and we had his uh, partner on IMAP Golf uh, with my friend Jamie Leno-Zimron on earlier uh, in the year. Uh, and has authored several books, articles, and instructional videos as well uh, as many uh, innovative uh, programs for Fortune 500 companies that combine golf with executive development and better business performance. Uh, Without further hesitation, let me welcome back my very special guest uh, this evening, Dave Bisbee. Dave, welcome to the show. How are you, Ted? Great to be Um, back. I'm I'm glad to have you back, and I I keep forgetting you're on Arizona time, so you're actually a couple, uh, what, an hour behind me? Well, you know, we're in that that strange uh, state here, Arizona. We never change, so we're we're, uh, we're always on the same time. <laughs> Everybody on both sides of us change, so now we're on the that's, same time. That's right. You. Yeah, that's right. That's that's right. Um, let me let me start with the obvious first. Um, you know, when you were on the last time, of course, we were talking about IMAP and and a few other things. But I, I want to give you an opportunity to to talk about Seven Canyons a little bit. Um, what a great facility, you know, obviously I have not played it, but, uh, just from what I've seen in that, it's just a phenomenal, tell us a little bit about the facility, a little bit about the background, um, the design of the the course and and so forth, and maybe some of the amenities, um, and, and, uh, and then we'll continue on. Fantastic. Well, it, it is a one of a kind facility. I think if, uh, if, if we only had an ocean nearby there, it just wouldn't be fair to any other any spot on earth. Um, Sedona is, I mean, perennially, it's in the most beautiful places on the planet. Uh, the, uh, the the setting for the golf course is just spectacular. And uh, Tom Weiskopf really designed a, a gym here. It's, um, it's a little bit of a throwback. Uh, he didn't uh, really uh, have all of the building envelopes that he usually uh, uh, uses. Uh, actually kind of did this old school. He walked it, uh, sketched it, and really fitted on the the topography of the land that it's on. So it kind of has a lynx feel to it. Um, right. It's not, a lo- it's not a long course, 6,700 yards from the tips, and kind of a throwback to the old par 70s, uh, you know, the Marians, that, that kind of, uh, of design. 
Right. Um, now, what was do you think uh, was really his approach to this? I mean, obviously, um, there's going to be a, some elevation change from tea to green uh, on some of the holes, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Um, but obviously, you know, today's golf courses, many of them, you know, are, are pushing up almost, you know, literally 8,000 yards. Um, that was not his choice here uh, for, for whatever reasons. But um, what are some of the challenges that a golfer is going to be faced with out on, uh, on Seven Canyons? Well, and as I said, it, it kind of has this links type feel. We're uh, there's there's only water on two holes, uh, our fifth and sixth holes. It does have a little bit of the mix of of what Weiskopf likes to design into holes. It, you know, it's got a a risk reward par five, and then a risk reward par four. You know, the old drivable par four that he likes to uh, right uh, design into his courses. And uh, you know, being up here in Sedona, we get a lot of the the Scottsdale area pros that uh, that like to come up and I always give them this when they're getting ready to go to the first tee I'll tell them it's not the length of this course that'll get you it's the width and right. uh, it, it's a uh, it's a tactician type course you know you really are having right. to think all of the way uh, around uh, greens are kind of small but have a lot of movement um, there's a lot of run-ups and run-offs uh, kind of like the old Scottish link style courses um, there are a number of washes that kind of um, traverse some of our fairways and some pretty dramatic uh, elevation changes. Our fourth hole, which is a, a par three, uh, has about a 90-foot elevation drop from the tee box down to the green. And uh, wow. so you and, and then you stand up there. It's, it, it, you're a little bit, you know, breathless anyway after climbing all the way up to the to the tee box. But <laughs> The uh, the views from up there are spectacular, uh, and it just makes yeah. for a, a really beautiful uh, hole. Now, is this a, um, a private, semi-private club, or is it open to the public at all? Or, or what's the? I know that you offer memberships, but is it a completely private right. club or no? Well, I, I would say by the you know the strictest definition, we're semi-private. We're private okay. except for. Uh, uh, guests of Enchantment Resort, which is uh, Enchantment Group, is our management company. Uh, and okay. Enchantment Group, Enchantment Resort, is just a, a canyon over about uh, about three miles away as the crow flies, and and uh, there it's a fantastic, uh, very high end luxury resort. And then Miyamo Spa is uh, there as well, and it's uh, ranked you know, usually in the top ten uh, in the world. Uh, spa destination spas. So uh, if somebody stays at the resort, they have access to be able to play the course. Other than that, it's private. So you've, in other words, you've positioned yourself very well at Seven Canyons to make sure that you've got a great resort nearby and some fantastic uh, championship golf as well. Um, let me ask you uh, about some of the programs that you offer um, at Seven Canyons as far as teaching and, and things like that? Mm-hmm. What are some of the uh, the programs that you offer? Well, you know, we have what would be probably uh, most of the traditional kind of one-hour lessons and, and those kinds of things for uh, the membership here. And, and one of the unique parts of our uh, of our club is it uh, we have a um, fractional ownership uh, product here. There are Stunning villas that uh, people buy in tenth share fractions, which gets them about 28 days, uh, block days uh, in residence a year. 
So it has a little bit of a resort kind of feel uh, with with those guests. They they come in and they'll stay for somewhere between, you know, two and and seven days uh, at a time, and and uh, they'll work try to work in everything. You know, we <laughs> they'll try to to uh, uh, do all of the hiking, biking, sightseeing, golf, yoga, everything in that uh, right. in that stay, and usually they'll try to work in a golf lesson. Uh, but we also do a lot of um, our, our most of our members are uh, it's a very high end uh, club and and so people who are uh, kind of uh, um, you know very successful in their business careers uh, so we also mm-hmm. do a lot of um, uh, what I would call um, uh, corporate um, themed uh, golf programs where we we really kind of combine. Oh something that they're trying to accomplish uh, in a uh, business setting uh, and uh, uh, kind of wrapping it in a golf experience where we might do some instruction, some coaching along that lines, and then uh, do some business simulations out on the, uh, on the golf course, kind of make the, the game and the business world come together. Right, and and we're gonna yeah we're gonna get into that a little bit here in just a moment. Um, but yeah, that's a fantastic thing. And I know you gave sort of a, a breath or a hint of it last time when you were on the show. Some of the things that you did, and we'll get into a little more detail here, yeah. uh, as I said, in just a moment. But um, one of the things that that um, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize. Of course, me being on the East Coast here, uh, the playing conditions are a little bit different than they are in the desert. So you know, mm. here in in um, uh, Florida, for instance, uh, or whether you're in, in Georgia or Alabama, when you get the heat of the summer, of course, you get a lot of humidity. Uh, it, it does certain things to um, not only the golf course, but the, the way the ball reacts and things like that. Right. The desert, of course, uh, is a much drier air. Maybe you can explain a little bit for, for some of the, the amateurs out there that are listening, what traditionally are some of the differences if you're going to play in a desert-style course uh, where you are, opposed to maybe what they might be playing here, whether it be in Florida or not, what are some of the distances, uh, differences, excuse me, that they might notice in their play and wh- how that should they adapt? Well, I think maybe one of the, one of the number one marketing um, slogans uh, uh, out here is, but it's a dry heat, right? That, mm. That's, that's how right. we, we try to <laughs> explain that when it's 110, it, you know, it's, it's really not that, that hot. Um, but out here, you know, you get it, it, it is, it's much drier. Uh, the, the air is much drier. Golf courses dry out faster. You're, you play a lot more, um, you know, what I would call a faster, um, course. You get more run, uh, on, uh, on, on shots. Uh, we're in a kind of a unique situation up here. Uh, we're at 4,600 feet elevation. So we kind of get, we, uh, I call this the Goldilocks zone. We're, um, we get warm in the summer. We may touch a hundred, uh, but you know, nighttime uh, the lows get down in the in the high fifties and, and low sixties at night, and um, so you you really kind of don't have that real heat of the day like you would down in Phoenix or Scottsdale. Um, and we also get the advantage because of that of we still have bent grass greens, so the the putting surfaces that we play on here, as opposed to a lot of what you're going to play on in in, uh, in Florida, and even down uh, 90 miles down the road uh, here in the in the valley, uh, there's a lot of Bermuda uh, greens, a lot of Bermuda 
bases uh, to uh, the, the fairway turf and all of that. And that in itself is different. Um, you know, we're bluegrass and rye for fairways and, and green surrounds and all. And, and you know, hitting like uh, pitch shots, chip shots off of that. Um, and I, I know that, that uh, better players appreciate that. You can really get a nice little pinch off of and, and poorer players uh, like it because uh, it doesn't uh, grab the club like, uh, like Bermuda does and all. Uh, but we all, you know, we tell people here uh, also because we're we're at a higher elevation. You just have to take precautions when it's a uh, having a dry heat. You really don't notice that you get dehydrated. You know, you don't sweat and uh, and uh, and all like you do. I, I was just out there in uh, Daytona a few weeks ago, and I think I lost about five pounds just uh, going around the golf course <laughs> there. But you don't really notice it here, and and so you got to stay hydrated. You really have to, you know, uh, keep the the sunblock on and and all of that. But from a playing standpoint, you just have to um, uh, kind of adjust to more, uh, you know, uh, pitches, pitch and runs, drivers run out more. Uh, the the uh, the lies are a bit uh, maybe a little tighter and and uh, and drier. Yeah, and and you're exactly right. I, I mean, I've been to obviously Las Vegas, and and I have not been uh, where you are obviously yet, but uh, I'm planning to to make it my make it. Uh, that's right. One We're going to do but, a show from here. Um, so I, yeah, so I'm from. That's right. So I'm 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 looking forward to doing that, but you know, so I'm familiar with with the dry heat, and you're you're exactly right. It might be 110 degrees out, but it is a dry heat, and it and it's much different than it is here. Um, but something else too. What about the distance? Uh, you know, if you're hitting a seven iron here and you're hitting a seven iron there, um, a lot of people said, especially with your scenario there, your, your higher elevation, is there a distance sometimes difference as well with shots um, playing in, in your climate than it would be here? Yeah, I, yeah uh, especially because of our, just because of the elevation, uh, I think is, is more uh, than, than anything else. Um, I always think that when you get down in the, in the, in the valley or you're playing in those warmer climates and uh, they talk about the air being thinner or, or, uh, and that the ball tends to travel a little further. I, th- I, I think people's uh, backs just are a little bit looser. They make a little bigger swing at it and get a little more distance. But up here at this elevation, we, it's about a half a club difference. I, I, I kind of tend to think that at about mile high, you you might get about a club difference in 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 distance. So yeah, you do have to kind of uh, recalibrate, uh, if you will, when you're uh, uh, when you're hitting shots uh, up here. So that's a, a great incentive for somebody that uh, wants to get a little extra distance uh, instead <laughs> of you know yeah. cha- changing out your golf clubs. You can uh, pack up and move to Arizona. Uh, right. And uh, and take advantage of a little extra, uh, even if it's only half a club, that can make the difference between a, a birdie and a par. So, uh, exactly. for some folks right. out there, um, so why not? Um, let, let's move into to business golf here for a second, and I'm going to let you, uh, you know, talk about some of the the advantages that uh, both small, intermediate, and even large businesses. Obviously, I want you to talk about why golf is such a big uh, influence uh, in, in business and why it's important to incorporate. And there's a lot of folks out there that might 
maybe own a small business and think, well, you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm not running a Fortune 500 company, so I don't have the abilities. But there are advantages for them too of, of you know, learning the game uh, and and or improving their game uh, and and working with with some of their clients. Talk a little bit about that, and then I want you to talk about uh, after that um, specifically uh, a little bit about the program that you run. Um, and, and some of the different uh, areas uh, in, in business golf. Sure. Uh, well, as you know, did, when we did the uh, uh, the show before, and uh, Connie Charles, who is uh, kind of my uh, my, my partner uh, in the IMAP uh, golf, and then IMAP um, kind of series of programs that we do. Um, we just uh, just came out with a new book uh, this past. Uh, December called Back on Course, Drive Business Performance Through Golf. And the book really came out of uh, Connie's and my um, last 20-plus years in doing executive training, um, uh, really kind of executive development, corporate education, organizational design, team building for companies, and um, using golf as kind of the context uh, to – uh, position it and make it more relevant to them. And part of what you know everybody noticed as uh, as the golf industry went through what it went through, kind of uh, with the economic downturn, and the way that right. the golf, um, yeah, and 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 golf really kind of you know got a black eye for no real reason, as mm-hmm. uh, as some of those institutions started kind of you know pushing it away at arm's length because of the you know the kind of the notion that it was it was frivolous spending and and uh, or lavish uh, right. spending and and you know we we kept working with companies that were were seeing one the value of the game to them culturally uh you know you know the tenets of the game uh, are the the same as we would hope that any organization would kind of uh, put in their mission statements you know it's a it's self-policing. It's about uh, honesty and and uh, and hard work and and uh, um, integrity and all of the tenets of the game really match up well with business. And um, so, you know, we came out with the book to to really kind of pull the uh, the veil back and say, you know, one, not only is it safe to go back onto the golf course, it's it's a prudent business decision to do it. And companies of any size, uh, especially a company that's trying to make their way up uh, the, uh, um, you know, up the up the ladder, build build the company, and all. It's all about relationships. Uh, it's about mm-hmm. how how closely you can um, uh, build those relationships with people. And the game is just there's nothing like it, uh, in in that regard. Uh, so we encourage um, business people of of any level uh, to uh, right. uh, to take up the game and use it uh, to help uh, you know build their uh, their business strategies. Yeah, and 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 there's no denying it. You know, and you're you're exactly right on. Relationship building is something that. Uh, is crucial for any business. Um, you know, it's not everybody just thinks as well. It's, it's about the sales, and and it's true. Obviously, you want to sell your product or service, um, mm-hmm. but you want to develop at the same time. You want to be able to develop good, solid business relationships because that's what gets you repeatable business, and then also that's what gets you referrals. 
And if you don't have a good solid uh, business relationship, um, then the only other option is to sort of dump your product or service on the market and kind of go through, uh, you know, this part of town today and then you better pack up and move somewhere else because if you're not standing behind your product or you're not building a good solid relationship with your clients, they're not going to come back and you're eventually you're going to end up. And that's what, that's what happens, unfortunately. Um, and, and this is why so many charities gravitate around golf as well is because it's a way of them. Um, you know, golf just has always had, um, it's had some negative stigmas, of course, being an elitist sport, but it's also had the stigma mm-hmm. of being a very classy, very professional sport in the sense uh, with a lot of integrity. So, you know, a lot of charities and a lot of businesses want, want to associate themselves. That's why, um, you know, the PGA and the LPGA tours uh, are very successful with corporate sponsors. It's because they want that, that uh, it's not even about prestige, but just that level of, of partnership or relationship with uh, one another. So that's why they're successful. Um, and yeah. also, too, you know, something – sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. And, and the fact that, um, you know, they're, they're back in my, my day, and I'm just I'm, – I'm telling you I'm old – uh, back in my day, the, the the tour events, you know, they had entertainers' names on them. You know, it was the Andy Williams Open, right. it was the Glenn Campbell, right. it, you know, the Bob Hope. The, all of those that 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 was what brought uh, the celebrity brought the crowds out, and and that's what kind of made up the purses. And they, you know, they played for a lot less money back then. There is sure. there is not a tournament that uh, on the PGA LPGA tour um that is not sponsored by a right. corporation it it's just, it and and i and it, it's it's an obvious thing if you're in a community of course me being you know close to phoenix when they have the waste management um open right uh, I, I mean that i i would say that there are probably no less than i don't know 1500 to 2000 um corporate sponsors between all of the tents and all of the and the reason right. that they like to do that is they 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 understand what the game draws in terms of of spectators and you know the whole demographic of it and the image of the game they they see the benefit in doing that and and uh and we're just we're trying to uh to get every company kind of looking at it and saying huh I think that is a that's an activity. That's something that we should uh work into, you know, into our culture. Uh and then we just try to give them the tools to take advantage of it. Yeah, and and that's a great point, Dave, too, because you know, again, this is an opportunity. Certainly maybe you don't have the budget for a PGA event, uh but there's a lot of other local golf tournaments that you could certainly become involved with as a, a, even a small sure. business owner. Um yep. you know, there's there's whole sponsorships, there's uh, you know all kinds of things that you can get involved with, and it's a great a great way to um, profile your company and get your name out there. And just a, a quick note on the on the Phoenix um, Waste Management Open, uh, I believe. Don't quote me on this, but I believe it draws um, some of the largest crowds uh, on the PGA Tour even to this date. Um, yeah. Just it's become yeah. such a successful platform, and I mean. Um, I know you, I'm sure you're obviously very more familiar with it than I am, but uh, it's just amazing that the crowds and every year just keeps seems to be getting bigger and better 
Uh, and yeah, they this, set that's records why so this year. Top, yeah. yeah, I know. Well, that's that's exactly right. And uh, of course, the uh, infamous uh, par three. You know, where oh. I think they call the shoot. You know, so you know, that's, if you want to talk about put, being put in a pressure cooker um, as a professional, that's certainly it. But they all have a good time. They have fun and. And uh, the crowd gets into it, and that's what it's all about. And it's and it's just, you know, I'm sure the corporate sponsors are just lapping that up. Um, you know, what a great way to to get yourself out there. But um, I, I want to get into because I, I know that you have um, a, a specific kind of a program, your 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 business golf suite, if you will, that you offer. And I want to read a quote uh, very quickly, and then I want you to to maybe sort of break it down a little bit more because um, I, I know you're limited for time tonight. Um, and here's the quote that I, I got uh, off of your, uh, your information. Uh, Our business golf suite reveals how opportunities are lost or simply missed uh, through the lack of sufficient skills to decipher personal signals that emanate from a golf experience. Our programs illuminate the capacity for achievement. In golf, par is the standard. In business, it's the bottom line. In both, it is necessary to get the most out of the skills you possess. Now, you have specific things that you do, and it's a great quote, by the way. Um, that you've got here, uh, because it really does uh, sort of excapulate, if you will, what you just talked about. Um, but talk about some of the different things in that in that golf suite that you offer and why you offer them in, in the way that you do. Well, one of the uh, one of the programs that we have is is called the Executive Golfer Boot Camp, and it's really taking any anybody who is thinking about using the game as part of their business strategy and kind of putting them through a crash course. Um, the basis of what we do with companies starts with an assessment tool. <clears throat> and that's really what IMAP is. It's an assessment. Right. Tool. The, um, uh, and, and what that kind of leads to is this very high level of self-understanding and self-awareness. And if you have that, you can kind of manage yourself in any situation. And it also teaches you how to um, look at cues that come up in a round of golf. There is nothing like 18 holes of golf to just reveal everything about somebody. Right. Uh, it, it gives you an opportunity to see the, the best and the, and the worst. And, and those who um, have the capacity to manage themselves in, in you know, stressful situations. I'll give you a, a quick example is – teaching them how to read the bag. You know, if, you, if you're yep. playing with somebody and you see that they have, number one, it's top-of-the-line clubs. Uh, and, yep. and it is a really, um, you know, a, a good, a solid golf bag. But these are four or five years old. They are top-of-the-line clubs that they've had for some time. Um, what that tells you about somebody is it's about it really is about the relationship that they're going to have with you. It's about gaining their trust. Um, and you probably, if you ask them, uh, you know, how do you like your uh, your you know whatever they are, and they say, oh, it's you know it's my third set. I've had these for this, and I, they they stay you know brand loyal and and all of that. Right. And they only change if that change is really going to uh, one, um, they'll either just wear them out and get new, uh, or if that change has some significant uh, upside to it. But it, it's about trust with them. And then, you know, you might find somebody whose golf bag has the uh, all of the dividers. There's a place for everything. Everything is in its place. 
uh, it, uh, you know, they're probably going to want to keep score. Well, you can you can kind of figure that 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 person is going to be you know about detail. Uh, they're going to be about order. Right. Uh, they're they're uh, uh, they're going to be um, you know pretty uh, by the book uh, as it uh, as it would go. <laughs> and right. and then if you somebody like me, if you look at my bag, if if all of the clubs get in the bag, that's that's pretty much a miracle in the first place. <laughs> and they they would know that. that I'm going to be pretty easy going. Kind of anything, anything can uh, I, I can take anything, and, and uh, uh, I'm not going to be too serious about uh, about anything. And I'm I'm kind of up for uh, a fun game. So just teaching them how to 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 look at uh, some of the the cues that might not be so obvious to them without uh, without knowing that. Yeah, and you, uh, Dave, you raise a very interesting point. Uh, just to back up a second, you, you you talk about, you know, really sort of seeing the good and the bad in, in everybody. And golf, really, um, I mean, you, if you think about this in a, maybe a traditional sales meeting, uh, or whether it be an introductory or even a follow-up meeting, um, you might be lucky to have 20, um, 30 minutes tops uh, yeah. with, with a prospective client. Yep. And you know, you can get a a, a general. Uh, flow, if you will, but again, you're in a, a different environment. You're in a, a business environment, and everybody's sort of on their best behavior, if you will. But out on the golf course, right. people, you know, want to unwind and let themselves down. Well, it, depending on what what capacity you're in, whether you're just playing a quick nine or you're playing a full 18, you've got that person for generally four hours or more if you're going to have uh, some meal in there as well. So yep. you've got that person's attention, but you've also are able to to view and watch that individual. And, and kind of take some mental notes. And and one thing I always did, because obviously my whole life I've been in sales, is it told me whether or not I even wanted to do business uh, with that individual. Sure. Because absolutely how they handle themselves on the golf course, uh, as you pointed out with the golf bag and how they, they do things, I mean, that's not always a, a key, but it does give you some general insight. But how they handle themselves under pressure situations out in the golf course gives you a pretty good idea how they handle pressure situations within their company mm-hmm. and yep. you know whether you're selling them the product or whether you're looking at using their service um, to enhance your own business it, it can be a real eye-opener and it's amazing what you can learn so uh, you're spot-on with with your observation uh, I think it's uh, it, it's something that uh, it, it you know you just don't go in there blindly uh, this is an opportunity for people and, and just another reason to get involved with golf uh, in your business life. Um, yeah. You know, something, something else too, Dave, that you guys do, uh, that you do is uh, what you call the strategic scramble. Uh, talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that as well. That's from within the corporation, uh, obviously that you want to use. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do there. Well, you know, most companies um, uh, of any size usually do some kind of a team building um, exercise somewhere along the line, and you know, and and you've probably even uh, uh, had had this experience of the ropes courses where they go out and they you know they dangle from ropes, they do trust falls, the, they'll put them on a, mm-hmm. a a fishing boat and they go out in the ocean, and uh, everybody gets seasick and and uh, all of that. Um, <laughs> Right. <laughs> and what we really do is we take what would be kind of that traditional team building exercise and put it out onto the golf course. 
Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. we just did. We were with the LPGA at their uh, uh, headquarters in Daytona uh, a few weeks mm-hmm. ago and uh, and took their kind of executive committee through um, one of these business simulations on the golf course. Uh, and what it does is it, it, it you know, for some, uh, because it's 87% of uh, uh Fortune 500 executives play golf. It it has it's, right. it's very relevant to them. They're they 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 really get into it. Uh, and then for those who don't uh, have never played and and all, it it gives them an opportunity to engage in something that might be just a little bit outside their skill set and and comfort level. Uh, but in a team setting, uh, they get to contribute. They get to have support from the team and all, and to kind of set it up. What we do is we uh, it, it's typically a nine-hole event with three three-hole segments, yep. uh, and mm-hmm. uh, we start a team out with X number of dollars. We usually give them a hundred thousand dollars in capital. Uh, we give them a um, a morning session, which really kind of sets it up based on uh, with the assessment tools that we use. And the assessment tool really kind of reveals all of those personality characteristics that, uh, uh, you know, the strengths and stressors that uh, that kind of drive everyone's behaviors. Um, and then we can kind of try to put these teams together with obvious mismatches of, you know, where we're going to find some some clashes. Um, and um, and and then we we get them all get get them all set. The first three holes we we call that people. Um, you have you have to uh, select a, a designated driver who hits the tee shots, a field shot specialist, a troubleshooter who hits any of the shots that are off of the fairway in a sand trap, that kind of thing, and a designated putter. Mm-hmm. And you know mm-hmm. they have a, a strategy session. They talk about who's going to do what, why they should be the driver, why they should do this, and uh, and then they make their decisions, and that's the team for those three holes. The second thing that we do the second set of three holes is we call it tools and they have a scorecard they know the length of the hole that they're going to play we make them choose the clubs they're going to use in the sequence that they're going to use them for the entire three holes and um, Hmm. and and usually what happens is you've got somebody gets in there that's driving the bus and they're really they say okay so this is it's 350 (laughs) yards we're going to hit a driver and then we're going to hit a nine iron in there and then we're going to hit two putts and we're going to go to the next hole and they, you know, they miss the drive. The club that they have in hand won't get them there. They end up hitting a that shot into a bunker. They've got a putter in their hand trying to hit a bunker shot. Yet all the the wheels come off of the of the the wagon pretty quickly, <laughs> and right. they have to deal with with that. And uh, and we always have little wild card things that we that we throw into it. But what it, what happens at the end in the debrief is is uh, pretty powerful. They they go through the uh, uh, the the, uh, the debrief and and we talk about what was similar to and what was different from um, you know the business environment uh, that you had uh, that you experienced today and uh, the feedback is always really powerful. There's there's always great learnings. Uh, they find you know the the uh, people that supported uh, them when they were really uh, in a in a quandary. Uh, yeah. And uh, right. or they find that people, you know, that kind of try to take charge and take over things, uh, that happens too. And some of the debriefs are are sure. uh, 
you know, talking about that. Well, you always do that to us. You always just take over. You don't let us, you know. And so there, there's uh, – It could be uh, – uh, yeah. yeah, it could be a hum- humbling experience, I'm sure, for some. <laughs> That's right, yeah. But right. uh, but it's it, it, it's always uh, for, for us. We've 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 done just you know dozens and dozens of these for for companies, and and it is always um, like their favorite team building activity that they've ever done, and we usually end up doing it you know doing it for them at least a, a few times uh, a, a year. You know, what's funny, um, and you're exactly right, it is a, a fantastic thing. And, and what I like about it, you, you essentially answered the question I was going to ask you next, is, is obviously what about the non-golfers or uh, yep. maybe the, the less skilled golfers, um, but they have an opportunity to play a role as well. And actually, I remember years ago, sure. uh, it wasn't quite as e- extensive as, as what you did here, but um, nevertheless, we had a, a corporate event. And I remember that, funny enough, some of the the, the people that – played the biggest role and the most important roles were the non-golfers and the guy yeah, that thought he was absolutely. the scratch player got out there, like you said, try to take charge and um, more often than not didn't always make the best decisions. And this is really, Dave really brings to a great point is this is great for both sides of, of the coin. The players um, obviously out there uh, or the, the staff, general staff, if you will, has a great learning opportunity here but also the managers and senior managers of a corporation, uh, especially if it's a bigger corporation doing this, um, has an opportunity to really see who um, their you know, successful people are going to be and who the leaders mm-hmm. are and who um, really strategize and who's a team player. Um, this sure. And, and you know, certainly can, can weed out and, and, and tell uh, you know, a, a VP or, or even a CEO, depending on the company, um, really where their strengths and weaknesses in a corporation are. Yeah. We we even have uh companies that use this as a um selection tool. Um you know everybody right. interviews pretty well. And especially at those at those uh upper level uh positions they you know sure. they they interview well. I always say that inside the office walls everything's pretty scripted. Um yeah. You get on the golf course after the first tee ball is hit, you're usually off script. And uh, it, yeah. and then being able to observe uh, somebody in that environment, uh, yeah, and all the pretense comes away. Um, we, we had a company that was that was, was an interesting observation by them that uh, the assessment tool that we use um, – you know, if, if most companies use something, they'll use DISC or Myers Briggs or some mm-hmm. kind of an assessment tool at the kind of at the beginning. And um, what what company this company found was that uh, they they felt like that people would were manipulating, um, you know, the the sure. answers. And because of you course, know, if you're yeah. if you're going for a sales position. You're going to kind of start to look at the things in that the questions that would pertain to you know am I good with people do I do I think on my feet yeah. kind of, you you start to look at the ones that will give you a favorable um, um, profile okay. and yeah. and right. yeah and then uh, that which may not be you at all so it really it doesn't you know it doesn't do the company any good and doesn't do you any good in terms of how the how that process goes. So 
when we did the first golf um, version of this for the big Fortune 500 company, uh, what they came back with was one of the learnings was that when you said to our people, this could help your golf game, they were more truthful. They t- <laughs> they took the questionnaire <laughs> and were more truthful about who they were. And when that kind of came out, uh, it was one of those aha moments for us as well uh, in, right, in right. What we the way we approach the companies. Sure, that uh, this really gives you kind of that unvarnished uh, truth about uh, about somebody, and uh, and gives you the tools to use to help make them successful. Yeah, and and, and like I, you know we said earlier, <clears throat> it, it it does you know for um, for a corporation that uses this as a corporate outing. Uh, this is a great opportunity on both sides, uh, of, as I said, of the coin, but also for a business owner and, and potential clients. Um, there's a lot of applications. I mean, you don't necessarily, I mean, there's other things that you can do. I'll give you a good example. Uh, there's a, a, and I'm sure he's not the only one doing it. Um, I've done it a few times myself, but uh, there's a pro that uh, I've actually had on the show here a number of times up in the uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan area, who actually what he has started doing is taking clients clients out in other words what he'll do is he'll host a clinic and invite some of his larger clients to bring some of their prospects to the clinic in other words they'll you know ante up Uh, x number of dollars and and bring them out and this gives him an opportunity to network with his potential customers um in a golfing environment and they don't always necessarily go out and play 18 holes Some, some companies don't have that much time um, but right. they can maybe afford a couple of hours. So he'll bring, you know, say, bring, you know, your top 10 prospects out and I'll host a clinic for, you know, an hour and then you can have an hour uh, meal or something, uh, follow up or whatever you want to do. And it's amazing how many of them gravitate to this. And again, it accomplishes the same thing. It gives them an opportunity to do business uh, or see who's really serious, uh, you know, a prospect. But it also, from the prospect side, gives them an opportunity to, to just get away from the office, relax in an, a non-pressured sales environment that they can go and have yeah. some fun. And it also favors the company that brought them there. So, you know, it's a win-win for everybody. The pro obviously gets extra business as well. Uh, you know, maybe future golf lessons or, or what have you. So it's a win all the way around, but that's another way too, that's, you know, smaller companies that maybe um, don't want to go out there and golf, you know, for four and a half hours or don't have the time. Sure they can still use, use golf as a tool um, with the help of their local uh, golf professional. So there's lots of things that you can do, and, and it sounds like you guys have got a great, uh, a great setup there at, at Seven Canyons as well. Um, I know, Dave, you, you uh, emailed me earlier, and I know you're pressed for time. You've got some things that you've got to do, but I want to give you an opportunity just as we close here um, to maybe share some final thoughts and also let the folks know that uh, maybe traveling out your way how they can reach out to you and maybe get more information about IMAP golf and also uh, about the facility and you personally as well, if they want to reach out and, and maybe uh, uh, get some information from you as well. Sure. Yeah, we are, uh, we're a short drive really from, uh, from Phoenix. You, know, you can fly into Phoenix Sky Harbor uh, airport and uh, head North 90 miles to Sedona. Um, uh, you can, you can find out more about the club and at seven canyons by going to seven canyons.com. 
Um, that'll also give you a little idea about you know what this golf course is like. Uh, all of the flyover holes, the the images there, and 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 as beautiful as they are online, they don't uh, they don't touch what it is in in uh, in reality. And then right. uh, Enchantment Resort uh, is just EnchantmentResort.com. Uh, they are our, our partner uh, for uh, uh, for non-member uh, play. Uh, and right. they do all kinds of golf packages uh, throughout the uh, throughout the year. Um, people tend to gravitate here in the spring and fall uh, in the kind of sure. the, uh, shoulder seasons. But I'm telling you, summer is beautiful. It's really great. Oh, okay. um, yep. And and uh, the uh, uh, the 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 rates are lower in the uh, in the summer as well. So you kind of get the benefit of that. But it is a it's a one of a kind bucket list kind of of destination up here. I'm I have to pinch myself every morning when I'm when I come to work. <laughs> well, I've seen your office, Dave, uh, on on the website, and uh, I yeah. see all the beautiful views that you have. So you're you're certainly lucky there. And I don't mind the heat myself. I, I've been to Vegas a number of times, uh, smack in the middle of July. So I know what heat's all about. And and uh, you know it's it's not that tough out in the golf course in that heat. Yeah. It's very just like you said, keep keep hydrated and and uh, it's a great opportunity. But um, Dave, I want to thank you for for coming back and and joining me. It's been a very interesting uh, chat with you. And and uh, you know as I said before, you're welcome to come back anytime uh, and and uh, you know share some thoughts with my audience. But I appreciate giving you your time. And I know you've got a you've got to step out and you've got some other things uh, there to attend to. But uh, again, I appreciate you giving of your time and ensuring uh, some great thoughts uh, with my audience tonight. Well, Ted, it's always a, always a pleasure being on uh, with you. You're uh, you're a great interviewer. It's uh, it's an easy show to do. Well, it's, it, uh, thank you for that. And as I, I say to all my guests, it, it, you know, when, when you have great guests on the show, it makes it very easy um, to do these uh, interviews and you know what it's like anything as I'm sure you can attest to in, in your neck of the woods um, when you enjoy what you're doing it's not work so there you go um, thank you for the compliments and uh, I, I look forward to, to us meeting face to face at some point and uh, as I said you're welcome to come back at any time and uh, again thank you and have a great uh, great evening and, and thanks for joining me on Golf Talk Live appreciate it thank you Ted all right bye all right take care Dave uh, bye-bye all right, that was my very special guest, the uh, program director at Seven Canyons Golf Club in Sedona, Arizona, uh, Dave Bisbee. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed our conversation tonight, uh, as always, and uh, just a great guest. And like I said, he was on before uh, with uh, Connie from uh, IMAP Golf and, uh, of course, my good friend, uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron, who has been on the show many, many times, both as a guest and on uh, the Coach's Corner panel, and uh, wanted to have Dave back and, and just uh, sort of a one-on-one and, and uh, thoroughly uh, enjoy that conversation tonight. And, and again, I want to thank my, uh, my Coach's Corner panel, uh, Clint Wright, uh, Tim Kramer, and John Decker. Thanks, guys, for doing a fantastic job. I really enjoyed the panel discussion tonight, as always. Um, always uh, managed to somehow hit it out of the park each and every week. Uh, so thank you guys for that. Um, but most importantly, I want to take this opportunity to thank all of the listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning in uh, to Golf Talk Live each and every week. And it's, uh, as I say so many times, I, I truly do get a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment of having a number of highly talented coaches, teaching professionals, authors, and entrepreneurs stop by. And it's really through their participation, not me, 
uh, and their guest appearances that help to make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. Uh, so remember to tune in each and every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live. And don't forget to join me this coming Tuesday uh, with uh, my good co-host and friend, uh, LPGA professional Cindy Miller, uh, on another episode of the Women of Golf Show. That's Tuesday mornings uh, on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Women of Golf, uh, and that's from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern uh, Standard Time. Uh, it's just an hour show, but we uh, get a, an opportunity to interview some great lady professionals, uh, both uh, playing on the tour and also uh, teach professionals and some other entrepreneurs and, and authors and et cetera on that show as well. So make sure you join us Tuesday mornings. Uh, we really want to... Um, uh, keep building that program as well. Uh, but thank you to all of you that tune in each and every week here to Golf Talk Live. You've been phenomenal in your support. And uh, with that, I want to also uh, give some special thanks out to some of the sponsors and supporters uh, of this particular program. Uh, Mr. Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide, who uh, I appreciate very much. Uh, if you're interested in a copy of the guide or you're interested in advertising the guide, uh, go to southcoastgolfguide.com. And you can read all about that there. And you can also find his contact information there uh, on the page as well. You can get much of the information that's in the guide online. Or if you're interested in getting a, a copy in your hot little hands, uh, and maybe you're not down here in the southeast right now, uh, you can reach out and contact Jonathan on his website, southcoastgolfguide.com, and request a copy being sent to you so that you'll have an idea of some of the courses uh, here throughout the southeastern part of the United States um, and uh, a little bit details on, on what course you'd like to play. It gives you all the information, including the contact information there if you want to book tee times. And that's many of the great courses, literally from Texas right over here to uh, the northwest part of Florida and virtually all states in between, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, um, and so forth. Uh, some great golf courses in there. And as I said, if you're an advertiser and you want to get in front of a, uh, a great crowd, uh, it's a very good publication. It's been in, in, uh, in public... Uh, publication for over 20 years now so it's a well-established magazine so as an advertiser you're uh, well advised to to get in that uh, golfers like to spend money not just on the golf course so um, they like to spend money in the community where they play so for a lot of you folks that come down here in the southeast that want to play some great golf uh, contact jonathan laird at southcoastgolfguide.com and also my good friend uh, great fellow teacher professional and was the uh, former uh, Mrs. South Carolina from 2014, uh, Meredith Kirk. She's been on the show a number of times. Thank you, Meredith, for all of your continued support of the show. I uh, appreciate that and I look forward to having you uh, come back on future shows. Uh, my good friend Nikki and Tiffany, uh, his lovely wife, Tiffany Litherland, uh, great uh, golf professional as well. Thank you for always continuing to help support and spread the word as well. Uh, my good friend, Mr. Bernie Pinder, uh, been a guest on the show a number of times uh, from Ontic Golf, a uh, great line of customized putters, uh, one of which I own, and a uh, great line. And you can go to onticgolf.com and check out the website there. Uh, Sean Kelly, owner of linkedgolfers.com, a great uh, networking uh, platform. Uh, Linked Golfers, of course, is the largest golf group on LinkedIn, which is a social media platform. LinkedIn, of course, is the largest business network. Uh, online and linked golfers is the largest golf community in there and sean has taken that uh, in addition to being on linkedin has made that available uh, for many top uh, golf professionals uh, outside if you will uh, with his great website linkedgolfers.com so check that out and of course across the pond as i always say my good friend mr peter doyle fellow golf professional club fitter uh, teach professional uh, over in ireland 
Uh, Doyle Golf Solutions is the name of his company. You can check him out as well. Uh, thank you, Peter, uh, for all of your continued support. And with that note, uh, thank you again for tuning in to Golf Talk Live. Again, thank you to all my, my guests. And I look forward to seeing you next week uh, right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody. and Have a great weekend. <laughs>